Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Well, hello there, prom party. Hello. Oh, that was an exciting hello today. I recorded one podcast for someone else earlier today. I have a lot of sass. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of energy zip. going on today. <laughs> I've also been like mainlining black tea, so I'm pretty hype. Pretty, pretty hype. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you have a lot of energy because today we are talking about an absolutely beloved film that I cannot wait to dive into. And friends, we also have a guest today. I would like to introduce you to the absolutely incredible, totally amazing, just TV expert of the universe in my brain, Kristen Lopez. That is quite the list of adjectives. I don't know how I can live up to that description. (laughs) (laughs) You're definitely one of those writers where I'll go a couple weeks without really reading anything, and then I'll just kind of like hunker down and be like, what does Kristen have to say? And just read everything in one sitting and then wait a couple weeks and do it again (laughs) i have a lot of opinions that uh can can definitely build up so that's probably the best way to do it (laughs) perfect so kristen would you mind telling our listeners what movie we're talking about today we're talking about an adaptation of the prince and the pauper yes it's actually an adaptation of that very loosely (laughs) Uh, it's it takes two because who doesn't need more Olsons in their life honestly I'm feeling like a little bit of a hole in my heart since they've stepped away for, for from performing it's great that we have Elizabeth don't get me wrong she's incredible but there's just that nagging thought in the back of my head of like I miss Mary Kate and Ashley <laughs> I, I maintain as I come to it as the foremost Olsen stand before it was cool um and and while it was not uncool in that time period before Elizabeth Olsen filled the Olsen void um I I I know way too much about these these young women's lives and I wanted to be them and I love them um but it's very fascinating to be part of the pop culture world and have a whole generation of people discover that they're all related (laughs) (laughs) yeah i definitely have had a a handful of these oh i yeah no i'm finally old kind of moments uh and i think the two big ones were people not realizing Catherine o'hara is kevin's mom in home alone and then the people recently discovering that elizabeth olsen is the younger sister of the olsen twins (laughs) 
How could you not tell, though? Because they have right? like, the same face. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can look at old pictures. I know, like, John Stamos, I think, posted a photo on his Instagram of him and Elizabeth Olsen. And I showed it to my mom. And she's like, oh, which Olsen twin is that? I'm like, it's not. It's Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was like, oh, my God, they look the same. And I, I was like, yes, that Olsen DNA is strong. Uh, and it just <laughs> keeps replicating itself into, <laughs> into what we have now. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie is uh i would say kind of the quintessential olsen twin film uh, sure it, i i have no horse in this race <laughs> it's very true yeah because harmony what uh what olsen twin movies have you seen at this point uh i saw it to grandmother's house we go okay i've definitely seen uh the the, the halloween one double oh, double double, 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 double toy yeah, yeah yeah now, I probably haven't seen it since at least like 1996, so it's <laughs> been a while. Um, I don't know if I've actually seen How the West Was Fun or if I just remember the title because it's ridiculous. All I remember is Martin Mull. I'm sold. I love Martin Mull. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he plays the Olsen twin villain where you need somebody with gravitas as a performer, mm-hmm. um, but also who is bumbling. So, you yeah. know, if you can't get Rhea Perlman or Jerry Van Dyke or Cloris Leachman, uh, he was kind of the, the best you could get at that point. Yeah, no, that's 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 good casting for that type of need. <laughs> <laughs> so just kind of set the stage of where we were at culturally in 1995. Uh, Harmony, what, what was cool in 1995? Oh, dearie me. Okay, so I don't know how much young individuals who were the Olsen twins' age, because how old were they? Probably like seven, eight years old in this movie? Something to yeah. that effect. Yeah, somewhere around there. I don't know how much they were listening to um, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio, <laughs> but that was the number two song that week. I can tell you what, at seven years old, which is the age I was when this movie came out, um, I knew the I knew some of the lyrics. So it was a thing. It was on the radio a lot, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Minds was out. <laughs> I yeah. learned all of the lyrics to Gangsta's Paradise as a young child because it frequently played at my classmates' like roller skating parties. So okay. they picked their playlist based off of what the roller rink had, which is like stuff that parents loved, and then a lot of like new hip hop and R and B because they were trying to like be cool for the kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely a lot of like intense kids on rollerblades uh singing coolio <laughs> i mean it was a banger of a year for for r&b like just looking at the like the charts for the week that was released uh, number one song is mariah carey's fantasy which of is the closest is. i'll get to liking mariah carey <laughs> like that's the one where i'm like okay i gotcha um runaway by janet jackson uh an r kelly song i'm not even gonna spend time on it because it's r kelly uh, the most important song ever released, Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then you get a little bit like TLC's there, Meatloaf's there for a cup of coffee, Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, yeah. And then you still have like All for One, Michael Jackson, Brandy. They're all they're all hanging out still. Yeah, this does sound like a, lot of... a birthday party I would have went to. Yeah. Like this is the soundtrack <laughs> to that birthday party. You lost, you, you had me at the roller rink, but I was always the one because I use a wheelchair. Uh, roller rink parties were always very frustrating to me because I had wheels, so I figured they'd let me on the rink, mm-hmm. um, but they don't. What? 
They don't like mostly it was a liability issue. Like if some kid on roller skates ran into me or I ran into them, like the roller rink would get sued. But I remember being told once that because of my wheels were not like the wheels of the roller skate, it would like scuff or like scratch. I don't even know if that was true. That could have just been so that they didn't get sued. Um, but but I always had to sit at like the little arcade area and eat my pizza and listen to Shares Believe, which always played at my roller <laughs> rink. Um, and, and kind of like make gesture to my friends to come over to say hi, um, which they all did, but you know, they all wanted to be out on the roller rink. I wanted to be too. So maybe when COVID ends and we all go back out into the world, I will finally uh, just force my way onto a roller rink just to take a lap. You're an adult now, just like exactly, your yeah. Way there. <laughs> Liability be damned, okay? I can <laughs> I can just dart around people. It'll be fine. Especially after the pandemic, like I feel like we're gonna all end up in this very strange pocket where people are gonna just go for it, and when anyone tries to stop them, be like, "I was in my house for a year," and they're like, "You know what? Yeah, fair. Yep, do it. Yep, <laughs> exactly." <laughs> Exactly. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm getting going to get, I might wear roller skates with the wheelchair, just like load up on wheels, see what happens. So that I can <laughs> wheels on wheels on wheels. Right? <laughs> no one can deny me at that point. I came prepared. <laughs> Let's take a quick gander at uh, what movies were coming out around the same time. Uh, I can tell you what, it was not the, when, when some of your competition at the time of release is Casino, uh, we're looking at some very different demographics in the movie theater. <laughs> uh, we also have a golden eye. So, you know, the, the lady who uh, has sex with men and crushes them with her thighs to kill them. You know, wholesome family content. <laughs> also my dream someday. Ah, uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, we have uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So, you know. Oh, that's nice, great for your demographic. The, the trans barfing scene. Uh, beautiful. Love it. That's aged well. <laughs> I can tell you that I saw It Takes Two in a movie theater. I know that. But then my parents would also go to the drive-ins a lot. And so we would always sit in the back. And so I saw several scenes from Casino that were very formative in my life <laughs> at the same time. So, you know, I, I got to see both the Happy Olsen Twins movie and Spoiler alert, Joe Pesci being beaten to death and, you know, left in a cornfield. So that was, yeah. I was a jack of all trades. See, what's funny is I definitely also saw Casino probably around the same time of It Takes Two because my dad, I joke all the time, my dad's the poor man's Pesci. He just is. He looks just like him. It's upsetting. And my parents also were very, uh, some would say neglectful. I would say open in terms of the content right? I was allowed to That's consume. That's what I describe my parents as. Yeah. So I got to I got to see that one as well. So yeah, <laughs> that's a fun thing to connect on. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, my parents I never never like. I think the only movies I was outright not allowed to watch, which were very arbitrary, that these were the two that they drew the line in the sand. It was Pulp Fiction and Chasing Amy. Couldn't tell you why uh, they picked those two, um, but uh, everything else was <laughs> everything else was fair game ish. You know, if it, if they if I caught it like at the drive-in, like in the back, like it was, they were like, okay, well, you know, you know that it's not real, so you'll know you'll be fine. What a what a strange mix of movies to be banned. I'm going to assume the Gimp is what banned you from Pulp Fiction, and then just the fact that Chasing Amy is a. Uh, some horribly aged nonsense that shouldn't have been made is probably why they didn't let you see it. If you ask my mom now, she will tell you the Pulp Fiction thing was because of the drugs. 
but there was a lot of drugs. Um, I, I maintain like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I had a lot of needles going on in my life for medical reasons. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't have been strange to me, but uh, in Chasing Amy, my mom will tell you it was just, you know, the dialogue. It wasn't the a- it, like actual sex. It was more like if they were talking about stuff, she'd be like, you you knew how to read, you know, you knew like you internalized stuff far more than you saw it. So it's like, okay, I mean, I guess, I guess I should be happy that you praised me for my intellect there and not, <laughs> not anything else. <laughs> uh, speaking of reading, our last uh, trip down memory lane for setting the stage of November of 1995, we're looking at the cover of Seventeen magazine. I probably owned this. <laughs> uh, there's there's a few interesting headlines uh, on here because the last couple of these we've looked at for like some teen dream boats and there's a few in this, but uh, we have some, some headlines such as... Uh, Why I Starved Myself, One Girl's Struggle with Anorexia. Okay. Confessions of a Shopaholic. Matt LeBlanc Gets Friendly. (laughs) I don't like the wording on that one. I don't like the wording on that either. Is this where I admit that I am distantly related to him? Are you? Uh, Yes. According to my, my late grandfather, like he's like a second cousin once removed. Oh. That's what I was told. I've, I've never cool. proven this lineage through like ancestor or anything, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's cool. And uh, my personal favorite of these little headers is a uh, John Bon Jovi, the new Brad Pitt. I mean, according to my mom, maybe Brad Pitt is younger than Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bon Jovi been around like already for over a decade, so I yes. don't know how they make that argument. <laughs> I don't know. That's why this one's the weird one. For what me. was Bon Jovi's hair doing in 1995? Because that also makes a big difference. Know, let's look up what Bon Jovi's because hair was doing in 1995. Bon Jovi had like beautiful, glorious hair metal hair. And then something in the middle that I don't know, which is probably around this cover. And then immediately into like lesbian art school. Oh, it's like, it's very feathered. Uh, it's kind of like, like a, a Vince Neil haircut, honestly. It's, it's a little bit long, but not that long. I don't even need to Google this, and I know See? exactly what it looks like in my yeah. mind's eye. It's like a, it's, yeah, it's definitely like a, a 90s cool guy, shoulder length, like feathered look. All right. So, yeah, it looks, looks fine. He looks fine, but. It's, it's probably his worst of his haircuts. But the, the new Brad Pitt, like, that's just inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. a bold claim that's not going to bear fruit. <laughs> Especially in hindsight. Oh, 17 Magazine, what were you thinking? <laughs> Well, now that we're safely and comfortably in 1995, let's fully dive in to It Takes Two. So we we made Harmony Watch uh, to Grandmother's House We Go because if we were going to cover an Olsen twins movie, I needed her to kind of see, like, this is the basis. Like, this is the... Yeah. This is where we, we left Full House and started becoming an empire. Mm-hmm. And... It Takes Two is the one where I think we started setting up uh, a, a trope that would continue with the twins of one being a little bit more masculine and one being a little bit more feminine. Um, even though to call Mary-Kate any of the characters she played, like Butch, I think, is pushing it. Um, In the time, it would have been Tomboy. Yes. Yes. But I've, oh, I've always found that to be a very interesting um, choice for the two of them because then, you know, you have an Olsen twin that you can relate to one more than the other. Like, I was definitely, like, 
Amanda was my girl when I was little. I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I'm going to play baseball in the street in a dress with a backwards hat on and yell at boys. Yeah. <laughs> she was everything for me. Girls got to have her standard. Yeah, this movie, you know, this is a, as as I put on my armchair Olsen twins expert hat, uh, this was <laughs> a big deal when it came out because the Olsen twins had been a big thing on Full House and this was the year that Full House ended. And mm-hmm. so the question was, what were these two going to do now that they were, for television, big celebrities? And this was their big cinematic debut. And it's important to note that I, I'm looking at their filmography. This is really the first... They had a couple of their movies that that did maybe have a limited release. But this and um, New York Minute, their last film, were the only two theatrical films they ever did together. Mm-hmm. Everything else remained in their video empire. So they exploded with just doing this movie. And then they immediately went to stuff that they could monetize, which was the videos and the dolls and the fashion. And I think that was a very deliberate choice for them because mm-hmm. when you make a movie with a studio, you're not in control, you're not keeping all the money. So, you know, they were very, very deliberate in what movies they were doing. Um, But this movie made them superstars for a brief shining time. Uh, This movie. (laughs) What I find really interesting about this movie too, um, and I'm going to actually reference this article probably a bunch throughout this episode, but for its anniversary last year, Ann Cohen over at Refinery29 wrote a a piece called The Olsen Twins, It Takes Two is More Radical Than You Remember. And in it, um, the writer does talk with the screenwriter, Deborah Dean Davis. And I I just love the way this article opens, which is uh, (laughs) the day screenwriter Deborah Dean Davis got her first residual check for It Takes Two, she had to take a second and sit on the floor. I think the Olsen twins sold more It Takes Two videos than Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible. Wow. Which, honestly, I think that, like, I, obviously I could go on, like, a box office site or whatever to to justify this, but knowing how many people owned a VHS copy of It Takes Two, I am very likely to believe this claim (laughs) as being true because i don't think i ever went to a friend's house that didn't have it takes two yep this was i remember owning the the vhs i remember owning the novelization that um i would (laughs) i would obsessively read every time we would go out somewhere and i needed like i was that girl that traveled with a book um Mm -hmm. that was the book that i traveled with and i would i would read it i knew all the words i had the dolls uh i think i still have them somewhere i mean they were able to market an empire off of just one movie. It was almost, it wasn't critic proof because critics weren't big on this film, but it didn't really matter because the people that they were marketing to, which was, you know, young girls, my age, we didn't care. So we were just like, I'll go see this movie. And that's pretty powerful to be Teflon like that. Oh yeah. Uh, We have ever since the to grandmother's house, we go episode, I've had an arbitrary system of judging films, which is on the To Grandmother's House We Go scale, <laughs> which is what is its uh, percentage on Rotten Tomatoes? Cool. What? How much better or worse are films than To Grandmother's House We Go? Because <laughs> I think it sits at 59%, which is much better than I thought it would be. And this movie is sitting at a resounding 8%. And uh, 
I think this is a much better movie. It certainly has a better budget, which helps. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say that uh, stuffy 40-year-old male critics, probably not the right demographic for this film. And that might be but, why they had no patience for it. Thanks to this article, I actually have some direct quotes from reviews. And I have a lot of feelings about the way people are describing children. Um, so Hal Hinson at the Washington Post wrote, with their wide Walter Keen eyes, which we know is also incorrect because Margaret drew those. Yep. The Olsen twins are cute enough, but compared with other child performers, their charm seemed forced. Okay. Uh, New York Times piled on with Stephen Holden writing that the Olsen sisters lay on the icky poo cuteness with several trowels, often delivering their lines as though they were reciting the alphabet. I don't like grown men judging the cuteness of children. Like, it just doesn't sit right with my soul. That's what beauty pageants are, though. <laughs> when I think comparing them to other child stars, it makes me wonder what movies these people have seen because I watch a lot of old movies and, mm -hmm. you know, you look at the careers of, like, Margaret O'Brien or, you know, I mean, not everybody's Jodie Foster in making serious dramas i mean a right. lot of these child stars were making fluff you know stuff that you could just go see and enjoy with your family i mean margaret o'brien all of her movies are really treacly and cutesy so that that obviously that critic obviously doesn't have any film school background with classic cinema <laughs> as a person who spent a lot of time not going to bed in my adolescence i have seen like the Shirley Temple cutie collection commercial probably like 800 times. I, I, I have to say that this is probably a lot better marketing and better depiction of young girls than that. <laughs> radical, <laughs> radical statement. I will take the Olsen twins movies anytime over a Shirley Temple film. Oh, I find God, Shirley yes. Temple to be incredibly unlikable in many instances where, I mean, we could talk about this movie and like white privilege, but I feel like Shirley Temple's movies are really, really emphasis. The emphasis is on like, I can't do anything wrong because I'm a cute little white girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah. Peppa Pig. <laughs> That's the reason the deep down we all hate Peppa Pig. <laughs> She's fully unaware of her pig privilege. I don't know. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that. Um, so with It Takes Two, we, you know, like you said, it's basically the Prince and the Pauper. Which um, I didn't realize it was an adaptation. Yes. I, I don't know like, if it's a literal one or if they even knew that they stole well it, but it might as well be. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, is this the parent trap? And... Well, so this is my theory on it is I think they were like, oh, this would be perfect for like the parent trap because we actually have twins. Mm -hmm. That would be perfect. And Disney was like, we will fucking cut you. No. <laughs> so then they did something else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's an intentional, like if, if you know, Deborah Davis sat down and actually wanted to adapt it. And it's always something that, that bothered me about this movie because, and, and it was even before like the rise of like 23andMe and genetic studies and all of that. I was just like, how can they look the same Mm -hmm. And be on like opposite ends unless because I also read like a lot of those like 
weird like it's true books that they would sell at, like book fairs and stuff that would talk about like kids switched at birth and everything uh-huh. mm-hmm. um or separated at birth and i was like well that that has to be the situation right like y- you don't just find somebody in the world that looks like <laughs> you because that would be terrifying and i think we would be finding it far more frequently so <laughs> this is the benefits of being a child that overthought a lot of things i was a little bummed that they didn't find some way to like explain it but you know you need the love triangle and you can't make Gutenberg's character like a total jerk so it's easier for him to fall in love with a stranger than maybe like have some sort of weird ex where they've parent trapped and split the kids up which that also is something that bothers me like legally that makes no sense it's also just super unhealthy it like right (laughs) no one has ever watched like three identical strangers it's a bad time don't do that to children oh goodness now i'm just wondering if there was some weird like medical like gross stuff happening that we ended up with these with amanda and Alyssa. like oh my god did somebody get inseminated against their will and this movie just (laughs) took a dark turn now (laughs) yeah it's it's very weird that there isn't some sort of explanation but i think as a kid it then just became something that i thought was so cool and all i wanted to do was find like my identical person in the world like they must exist and maybe they live in France like I don't know I was just so enamored with this idea because I think there's this weird I wouldn't say it's a universal desire but I definitely know that with how much I loved the Olsen twins as a kid I wanted a twin so bad. I thought it was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh, we could do so much mischief and we could have matching outfits and I'd have like a built-in best friend. Instead, you got a little sister who was a little little, little shit. Instead, I got a little redheaded sister. No, she's great. I love her now. (laughs) Well, see, I was was on the opposite. I, you know, I wanted, uh, I, I think growing up as a disabled child, the only disabled child in my family, like, the concept of having a sister was very fascinating to me. Um, and then I had a little brother, which my mom will tell you infamously, when I discovered that I was having a little brother, I became um, very upset in the doctor's office <laughs> and made that known that I was not happy about it. Um, but but I think that I forget what, what I read somewhere, but they were talking about how the Olsen twins really did cater to this generation of children you know, you also you had the rise of the latchkey kid and mm-hmm. a lot of di- the divorce rate was, I think, somewhat high in the, the 90s. And that the concept of having this built in best friend slash sibling was really appealing, you know, and, and that the Olsen twins really tapped into our collective loneliness as children. Yeah, that's actually a really fascinating point that, yeah, that tracks. I mean... My parents were definitely working a lot. I was a total latchkey kid. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I were so, we were always so different that, yeah, the the idea of having the twin, that was, that really resonated with me. Wow, that's like a lot to chew on. I like that. Yeah. I had an older brother, so I guess we're just, uh, we're coming from a lot of different sibling sibling relationships Mm -hmm. here. Um, I wanted an older sister because I figured she wouldn't be as mean and awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even occur to me i was like oh a twin ho ho but i did read it i don't know what kind of factual evidence there's behind this but i definitely read one time that statistically speaking there's only so many makeups people can have with their faces so theoretically there's at least one person who looks identical to you somewhere in the world i don't know if that's true or not 
I but... think after seeing us, that concept terrifies me now because <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of wonder like, so wait, if my other is not disabled, am I going to be really, really resentful of them and be like, that's not fair. You have my face and you also have legs that work. You are living my best life. I hate you. So <laughs> no, see, it would just, it would just be too weird. It would keep me up and now it's going to keep me up at night. See, I'm like also a, like a little bit nervous about it because as a child, I was like, yeah, this is a great idea. But as an adult, um, I've seen a handful of women on Instagram who do vaguely look like me or the thing that I've been noticing a lot more that's very uncanny valley in in my brain is that a lot of our artist friends have drawn Harmony and I because we look so ridiculous together because she's so tall and thin and I'm short and fat and we have bright colored hair. Like we look like cartoon characters. I We lean into it. We accept this. But lately I've been getting tagged in things where people are like, this looks like you and Harmony. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, it does. Uh-huh. And it's this weird thing of like, I see people who have like similar style to me on Instagram and I have this like Highlander moment of like, oh no. Um, But then I see all of these artists drawing couples that sort of look like us and I'm like, are they drawing us or are they just imagining like these very oblong shaped couples and we just happen to look like that? I don't know what's happening here and I don't want to find out. (laughs) No, it's, it's something similar. You know, when, for me growing up, I got asked a lot of times because again, the wheelchair and brown hair being a girl, like you have those uncomfortable, like awkward, is it ableist moments? So like growing up, people would come up to me and they'd be like, you're the girl from, from uh, Sesame Street. Like, right? You oh. are? And I was like, um, no, I'm not. Unfortunately, I wish I had that money, but that would happen regularly. Or I would have people come up to me in the store and be be like oh you know and start talking to me like we were friends and I was like do I know you and they're like oh sorry you just remind me of some girl I know that is also in a wheelchair and also has brown hair and also and I was just like there is somebody around here that is me this is very frightening I never found out who they were but it happens a lot I think because the wheelchair makes me or makes me distinctive but uh you know they don't look at the face so it's Mm. society society man (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've gotten that similarly. Not not in L.A. because we haven't, like, Left been around people yet <laughs> since we moved. But I definitely have that when I was in Cleveland where uh, before my hair was blue, because that's pretty distinct when it was, like, red and brown still. People would come up to me and be like, oh, hey, um, like, Jessica. And I'd be like, who the fuck is Jessica? <laughs> and they would just start talking to me. And it was just like, ah, tall, skinny trans person. Apparently, that's all you need to conflate, like, several people who don't look alike uh, really at all with each other. Well, it's also, like, the Adele test that if you are a white woman and fat, someone has told you at least once in your life, oh, my gosh, you're so beautiful. You're just like Adele. It sucks. <laughs> it's the worst. Spe- yeah. So speaking of society sucking, uh, let's talk a little. Let's talk about class structure. Yeah, let's talk about class structure and what this movie is saying. <laughs> It's saying so much, but also not nearly enough. Do we want to throw out the plot just in case? I don't know if we want to get too far in the weeds. Yeah, sure. We can go for that. So if you had to explain what's going on in It Takes Two, uh, what's going on? Uh, So you have two identical strangers, uh, Amanda and Alyssa. You can determine which is played by Mary-Kate and which is Ashley. It's 
fairly easy, I think, nowadays to distinguish them than it used to be. Um, one is a privileged uh, daughter of a cell phone tycoon, played by Steve Gutenberg. The other is an orphan in a colorfully 1995 uh, New York-based orphanage filled with delightful ragamuffins. <laughs> and they meet uh, at a camp, a summer camp, uh, and decide to uh, try to live each other's lives by switching places, but also hooking up Alyssa's dad with Amanda's social worker played by, remember when Kirstie Alley was not a horrible human being? Um, she might have always been a horrible human being, we just didn't know it yet. Um and uh, stop the wedding of Gutenberg dad to horrible, horrible blonde lady that was only found in movies about precocious twins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. And I'm really glad that you brought up the, the uh, stuff with Kirstie Alley because I like sh there are a few actors that when you find out that they're garbage people, it like hurts. And Kirstie Alley was a big one for me because I loved her so much in this movie as a kid. I, like, it, like, she almost has, like, the Miss Honey effect from Matilda. Hey, slugger, sup? Not going to stupid camp. Oh, yeah, well, I don't blame you. Look at this place. It's a pigsty. Probably going to take you the whole week just to make your bed. Don't joke. I'm serious. I'm not joking. That's why I sent the bus ahead without us. Flyer. Oh, yeah? How much you want to bet? Fifty bucks. Okay, so I didn't send the bus. Cough it up. But I will. And then you and I can just sit here until you tell me what's really wrong. And I, I loved her in the um, Look Who's Talking movies. And then as I got older, you know, I liked her when she was doing like Fat Actress. And I was like, hell yeah, I love this. And then she was like, Trump's pretty great. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what also sticks out about Kirstie Alley in this movie especially is kind of how you can see how Hollywood was doing her dirty a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because they really do sell her in this film as this, like, we try so hard to make her unattractive in this movie. You know, she she's really shrill when they have that horse chase sequence because it's an Olsen twins movie. There's always a horse chase. Um, <laughs> she's, she's very, you know, kind of taciturn and um, they, her wardrobe in this movie I was noticing is horrendous because you can see a costumer thinking that because she's not a size zero, that means that she is just morbidly obese. So they put her in a lot of black a lot of mm -hmm. jackets, a lot of blousey sweaters. I thought a lot of watching this of how they they um, dressed Rosie O'Donnell in like um, Harry yes. the Spy. Um, and, and again, these women are are beautiful, but the you can see the aesthetic in '95 of they're not they're not thin, so we mm -hmm. have to hide all that by putting mm -hmm. them in really big like mom clothes and i think that really does a disservice to her as an actress because she's like always looks like she's just in a, a sack you know everything is very wide and i was really feeling for her and this movie just made me think of how crappy it was to be a woman in the 90s especially if you were not conforming to like kate moss beauty standards uh-huh What's also going on with her, too, is this really, there's this really interesting angle in that, obviously, if she could, she would adopt Amanda. Like, that's clearly, like, 
her girl, but she can't because like she's a single woman. So they would never let her adopt. But meanwhile, then we also have like the Butkus family who essentially are, you know, taking advantage of like foster care systems and collecting kids to make them work in a scrapyard, which is such a morbid visual. But upon this rewatch, I did notice that all of the metal that the kids are dealing with is all like pristine and clean and clearly like brand new. So these poor kids don't get hurt. (laughs) They're not Uh, getting tetanus. Yeah. So I was like, well, that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable seeing all these children in a junkyard. At least I know that these actors are touching clean material. Um, But well, they they also say at one point in the beginning, it's not just that Diane is a single woman. She's the one who I think they make a very specific thing because it's 95 and they can't explicitly say because she's a single woman. She's the one that says, I think you should have a mom and a dad. She says that she can't afford to raise to to take care of her on her salary. They won't let her (laughs) adopt her. And I was just sitting there thinking, oh, so, okay, what is the saying about the American foster care system? She's a social worker and they will decide how much money she makes and she is too poor to raise a child but the butt kisses are creating some sort of child labor empire but thank god they have enough money to traffic children i was like what are the extremes here really (laughs) yeah it's it's so bananas and also that you know you deserve to have a mother and a father sort of thing i think this is still just that residual we need to have the nuclear family and preserve the nuclear family and uh, it's it, that's also kind of why i think when we get to like steve gutenberg who's this you know very wealthy person he's totally willing to marry this like nightmare woman who i secretly love yep. not because i think that she's <laughs> like a nice person but the performance is impeccable. It is perfect. But he's so willing to marry her because he's like, well, I want my kid to have a mom. And I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. And it's like, do you not realize she's awful? <laughs> like, do you, do you not see her? <laughs> well, I think it's also a deliberate choice that Diane, the Kirstie Alley character, is waiting to find a guy. She says she has really high standards. But Gutenberg's Roger is just like, you're going to become a woman and you're going to be dealing with some girl stuff that um, I don't want to touch. So <laughs> I got to find me a woman stat. Any woman will do. I will just marry like with, with dads in these movies, I always feel that they, they get married because they realize like to them, or at least the screenwriter writing it, women are such a bizarre, frightening, terrifying mystery. Like they all think that we're it, you know, like secretly the sink spouting blood in it, um, that they have to find a woman as quickly as possible in order to navigate that so that they don't have to deal with it. Yeah, I actually talked to BJ about that where I was like, okay, so what does Steve Gutenberg see in this woman? Because she's clearly awful and I don't know why they would want to be together. And then we fell down a rabbit hole discussing like dads in the 90s and like divorced parents. And like our discussion kind of got sad after that. Well, and keep in mind, I mean, what's so weird is that the Olsen twins did how many seasons of Full House where Danny Tanner ended the series never getting remarried? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess Aunt Becky was there to navigate the, you know, questions of like menstruation and stuff like that. But I mean, 
the Olsen twins, here's the, the thing that I always find really fascinating about this is this is one of the few theatrical, well, movies just in general, where there was an emphasis on getting a mother and a father. There's, their movies always had a single parent. And as they went on later in life, it was always a single dad for some reason. Yeah. Um, so I thought that the the fun, fun desire to like actually end up with two parents was very radical by an Olsen twin standpoint because they never did that. Yeah, I'm sitting here like going through their catalog in my head and it's like, there's a lot of dads. And I don't know if that's maybe because they were trying to like balance it out because there's the two girls. So you need the dad to kind of balance it out, give give something for the dads to relate to that are going to get dragged to see this or, you know, be begged to rent at Blockbuster. I think dad would just be overwhelmed more easily by like two twin girls and it just makes for funnier writing. (laughs) That's very true. You know, the I, I I don't know exactly where I read it somewhere, but you know, the Olsen twins were certainly they they retired from acting, retired. Um, they had enough money to to really never have to go through that question of being sexualized in their films. They were mm-hmm. sexualized by society, but they oh, never yeah, really yeah. they never really dealt with that in their movies. But what I noticed too, especially in their last film, New York Minute, is that there's slowly this emphasis on them as characters becoming proto-wives to their their father characters. And it, it, in New York Minute, it's very over. Like, Ashley's character makes breakfast. She's the mom in all but name. And, and I thought that was really fascinating that they slowly, like, became that character. And I don't know if this was the start of it because Alyssa and, and the, you know, Roger character, Gutenberg, they don't spend a whole lot of time together. He's kind of a horrible dad in the grand scheme of things who, like, barely spends time with his kid. So... I mean, he shipped her off to, like, an English boarding school for, like, a year. Right, right. But yet when when Clarice, the Jane Sibbett character, is like, I'm going to send you to boarding school, she's like, what? Like, where have you been all this time? Like, it's not that weird for you. It shouldn't be. But it's an evil boarding school because it's Clarice doing it. <laughs> or, I mean, we can also go that there's, some, uh, like, <laughs> mild xenophobia because the one she just came back from is England. And I think she says she's going to send her to Tibet. And that's when she freaks out. Like England was fine, but Oh no, Tibet. I, I think this is a movie I was realizing watching it this, this morning is that the Callaways as a group are really kind of horrible because like Roger's an absentee dad who's willing to marry a woman just because he doesn't want to deal with his kid. But Alyssa, also doesn't solve problems with anything passing and it's not even really like a childlike quality of like she doesn't know better so when she finds out that that Clarice wants to redecorate the house and like besmirches her mom and is practically like I'm glad this woman's dead um instead of like telling her dad like hey I was just in this room and she was talking about how it's a great thing my mom died she feigns a faint and I was just like girl at least have a tantrum or something. That seems relatable. <laughs> you're pretending to pass out like you're a Southern Belle on the plantation. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how you've been solving your problems before, but you could have solved this in two seconds if you had used your words. Yep, 100%. I think Alyssa is... You're right when you say, like, it's not even, like, a childlike manner. Because when you when the two of them meet in in the woods, 
she asks, like, what were you doing at my house? And she's like, oh, well, kids think that it's haunted and it's a whole thing. And in my head, I'm like, that makes sense. Like, that's childhood. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) Amanda goes, what were you doing at the camp? She goes, I wanted to know what it's like to be an orphan. And she just deadpan goes, what? (laughs) Like, like, do you know what is what you're saying when words leave your mouth <laughs> Alyssa would be the one to become like some sort of like Hilaria Baldwin like I wanted to know what it was like to be another minority or something this poor girl is going to grow up to be on on the internet in a bad negative way I can just I can just see it now <laughs> yeah. oh yeah she's going to be a she's a class tourist she just, <laughs> she's going to hit college and then go like slum it for a while but you know daddy can always pay her way out if mm-hmm. she decides she doesn't like her terrible living conditions Yeah. But at the same time, Amanda also has that class distinction. And I think it's very unintentional in the movie. But because we as a uh, as a society know now about the statistics about kids in the system and the racial makeup, I noticed it really evidently at the beginning when when Amanda's doing the baseball game and she's Mm -hmm. talking about going to see the butt kisses and the little uh african-american boy who's her friend is like well that sucks for you because these people are horrible and she's like well at least somebody's interested in me and i was like yes amanda please remind us that poor these poor kids are probably going to age out of the system at 18 because they're not white children (laughs) and what's Uh. so frustrating about that moment too is that later on they do address one of like the worst parts about the system which is that People want to adopt babies. They don't want to adopt children or teenagers. And in that article from Refinery29, the screenwriter was talking about how she fought for that line because she had visited a sense closed down, um, like foster home or orphanage, whatever it was being called at the time. And she talked with some of the kids and she asked them, like, you know, about their experiences. And that was what one of them said to her was like, yeah, I'm probably never going to get adopted because people want babies. So when she was dealing with the producers, she was like, you can pretty much trim and cut whatever is necessary. But if you cut that line, I will kill you <laughs> because uh. she it was just so important to her. You're not a reject. It's just that most people want to adopt babies. I know. This orphan stuff is like growing up in a dog pound. Everybody wants a puppy. Just once I'd like to sleep in my own room. And it's taking such like kind of a radical stance by saying that quiet part out loud in this movie. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it's also like Amanda's best friend is, you know, a Latinx girl named Carmen who she steals the bunk from because she called dibs on it. Which yeah. is like so arbitrary. Like give her the bed. Who cares? Um, and she yeah, carved her name into it though. That means something. <laughs> you know, that's true. That is true. I am also, I'm so fascinated with childhood self-made hierarchies, like, uh, the ones that we see in things like Hey Arnold or Craig of the Creek. And that's sort of what's going on here. But it is very fascinating to me that for like her main gaggle of kids, it's, it's overwhelmingly children of color. There's Amanda and then there's that kid with the glasses who's like amanda afraid of the frog um but for the most part it's it's children of color yeah and and i think that that's also something that the olsen twins benefited from in a lot of ways because 
they had a group of friends in each of their movies, but they never really interact significantly with that group of friends. And that's really mm-hmm. the case here is they have Amanda has other people like Alyssa very specifically does not have any friends at least that we've seen um except maybe her dolls or something yeah i was like she has a giant collection of porcelain dolls right and i think i would have liked to have seen a little bit of that the the loneliness that comes from being this princess of privilege and not having anybody to talk to i I mean especially in that party sequence where amanda is masquerading as Alyssa and like the adults are talking to her about like playing piano I mean you see that she is Alyssa has obviously been set up as this high functioning like type a girl who is expected to never make a mistake um Mm -hmm. and and Ashley Olsen played that character a lot in movies. I think that's very close to her personality, possibly. Um, so I, I would have liked to have seen like con- that contrasted a bit more that Amanda has friends and that Alyssa has no one except for Vincenzo, who is awesome. He's my favorite of our very few side characters by far. But I think that's just like a Callaway family problem in general, because if you think about like who Steve Gutenberg's best man is, it's his butler. Right? Like, he doesn't have friends either. Yeah. I remember back in the day when they could make movies about rich people being lonely and sad figures, and you were like, aw, that sucks. <laughs> That's so sad. Um, and now now we're just like, whatever. Eat the rich. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I wanted to talk about, I, you know, I love BJ doing the, the voice of the friend who, who brings up the frog, because I feel like there's a lot of great unintentional voice work in this movie (laughs) like Alyssa and her over enunciation of words like isn't uh, and other (laughs) things like that but really the the a work goes to Mary Kate as Amanda who if we're gonna make fun you know of Elizabeth Olsen losing her Avengers accent um Amanda starts out sounding like a mini Edward G Robinson (laughs) you know (laughs) she drops her voice an octave and she's like what what's going on, you know, use and stuff like that. Really bad grammar. Um, And then slowly as the movie progresses, she just starts talking like she normally does. Yeah, she abandons it. And like every once in a while, it'll pop out either with like a big expression of emotion or like when she's teaching Alyssa how to talk like her. And half of me is like, that's just bad acting. But the other half of me is like, no, because I still do that. <laughs> if I get really angry, like all of the inner, like raised in Chicago voice comes out and everything gets really aggressive or I start sounding like my dad. So I get really Italian sounding. So it's like, oh, I relate to that little girl who's, you know, on the <laughs> on the street saying, I'm going to go smash this ball downtown. <laughs> when we first started and like that accent dropped i was like oh my god is she about to have like a thick brooklyn accent and bj goes don't get used to it no. yeah i i remember being a small child and trying to do like what is she teacher something don't talk so good ain't you don't you want to supposed to have to go yeah and i was uh-huh. like yes. i would try to do all of that and it would just sound really cute and people would be like oh the girl in the wheelchair doesn't talk that great uh it didn't work out it didn't work out for me so the Olsen twins taught me a lot of bad grammar habits um but I I do think that's really funny that that she really does commit to like mm-hmm. this character's totally raised born and raised in New York 
And you, I mean, how can you doubt that? How can you doubt that sincerity? (laughs) I love when kids commit really hard to that kind of stuff. And what's funny to me is we talked a little bit about the, like the horseback riding scene earlier. Um, Mary Kate is the reason that that is in the movie because apparently she is hardcore into horses or at least was when she was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, because the screenwriter had a daughter around the same age as the two of them. So before she started writing, she had a play date with her daughter and the Olsen twins to like get a better, you know, grasp on their personalities. And when she asked them, if there's anything that you could have in the movie, what would you want? Ashley said a a puppy and Mary Kate said horses. That's all I care about horses. (laughs) And that's why we have the, the horseback riding thing. Twice. <laughs> Twice, yes. Poor Ashley did not get that puppy, though. That's no. uh, it's frustrating. And she got Gutenberg. I guess that's the same thing. So <laughs> He's got very puppy dog-ish eyes in, like, the most, like, candy-coated Bob Saget type of way. I, I really think that's the only reason he was cast, honestly, because he kind of has that Bob Saget quality. That's all. That's the biggest thing I, I have with this movie is that I never buy Steve Gutenberg. Like I missed, I missed the eighties, so I never got the whole Gutenberg thing. Um, and and here is like this romantic man wearing a vest out on a white horse and you know doing all this stuff. I was just like, no. No, I don't. I don't. You, you're not. You're not making me buy your your love struck thing, dude. Um, I, I don't know. I thought him and Kirstie Alley had very little chemistry. I think she's doing a lot of the heavy lifting uh, so in too. that in that <laughs> yeah. relationship. Um, well, especially because Gutenberg's such a wiener. Right. That's exactly. That's a perfect. That's the word I was looking for. Like, <laughs> I. I mean, even when when Clarice shows up, I was just like woman, you're going to have to do a whole lot to keep this guy like under, I I was, I think that relationship works because he needs a woman that's going to take him in hand and be like, you just sit over there, shut your hole. Like you'll be fine. Um, (laughs) So shout out to Jane Sibbett for being awesome. Like she is such a presence in this movie. And it's, it's not even just the delivery of her lines. It's also like the little in betweens her the way she holds her face the way she holds her body every movement she makes like she is committing so hard to this character that it like i don't know it frustrates me that this is a movie that gets written off because like oh it's for little girls or it's a mary kate and ashley movie and it's like no no no. please look at her performance this is comic gold like it is (laughs) perfect she is so funny i think a lot of people ignore the screwball elements of movies like this and how a lot of these side characters are really hearkening back to a classic film aesthetic. I know um, that that Elaine Hendricks, who played uh, Meredith in the Parent Trap remake, talked about how she was trying to go for like a Carol Lombard type of thing um, mm-hmm. with her performance. And I, you know, the 90s was a really great time to be a bad girl in film. Um, I think of like the A group, which also has Elaine Hendricks uh, from from Romy and Michelle, you know, that, oh, yeah. that concept of being like, very larger than life, but having to have specific feminine tics that really stand out. And I think that Jane Sibbett as Clarice 
really does bring in this extreme femininity that is supposed to be really like the worst things about being a woman. She's, she's shrill, you know, and she's, she's uh, very over the top and materialistic. She's supposed to represent like the worst things that, that, that women are associated with. But I think she does it in such a way that is so funny and, you can I can identify that character like I know that woman I may not mm-hmm. like her but I know that woman and I think that that's a testament to her performance because she don't fade into the background that's for sure oh yeah that's that's good heel heat you hate her for the right reasons and you want to see her on your screen like she doesn't she it's not like a despicable character where you're like go away I don't even want to bother looking at you you annoy me you frustrate me it's like oh no you're awful but in a very fun way like you enhance the movie you don't distract from it exactly well i i was really struck watching it this time where the the news report in the big third act um where they talk about how she's this socialite she finally nabs her man and i was like where's her story i want to know what she's doing (laughs) because if we're selling it as she's getting married not the cell phone magnate that, that means something. That means she's got big power, way bigger than this guy, if if that's how we're advertising it. Oh, totally. Uh-huh. Especially when, like, obviously she's mad at the, the kids, the, mm-hmm. both of them, but she thinks it's one at the time. So she has the funds and her dad willing to pay everything to move up their wedding by a couple months, and they're just like, we're doing it tomorrow. Like, this is just what's happening. And y- there is some power and pull to be able to do that mm-hmm. yeah and i you know it does have the 90s technique which i also loved which is we have to find some way because i think the movie inherently knows that because clarice is so showy that she's the funnest character so we have to find some way for you to dislike her we have to find any way we can do that how do we do that we cut her hair off and we put her in this dumb wig and we have all these characters comment about how unattractive it is and i was just sitting there like we all know hair grows back, right? Like her hair is going to grow back in a couple of months and she's still going to look beautiful. Like uh, you guys all suck for bringing it up. <laughs> I mean, real talk. I thought the short hair looked better. <laughs> I, I still haven't come around to it yet, but I mean, I, I was like, I was sitting there thinking that's probably the best haircut we might've been able to get out of a huge wad of bubble gum, like right uh-huh. where it was. Although we all know now, like, acetone and like nail polish remover would have taken that out we wouldn't have needed to cut her hair off and that's one of the comments that i i was thinking as you know a kid who grew up very poor and frequently did dumb things like sleep with gum in their mouth um peanut butter you get Uh something super oily it gets it right out and i was like oh but none of you probably have ever experienced this and you do not know these more tricks class (laughs) system see the the it takes two is really talking about class warfare going on there oh diane would have known how to do that 100 (laughs) percent, diane would know how to do that and i think it's also a one of my favorite aspects of kind of the classism that they are presenting here is also the food scenes because we have, you know, uh, Amanda as Alyssa at this party eating escargot. And she, she says, it like, you know, it tastes like a balloon. And then he's like, it's snails. And she's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, once he leaves, she's like, all this money and these people eat slugs. <laughs> and it's like, that's a great comment. And then you then get uh, Alyssa as Amanda eating a sloppy joe, which is like 
top tier poor kid food in my in my book and she's like this is the most incredible thing i've ever tasted in my life and mm-hmm. you're like yeah it is what what she calls it like a like a Big messy gooey messy burger yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's like i mean you're not wrong <laughs> that is what it is but this also this movie also has my my one big thing that makes my OCD as a child whose mother was incredibly neat, it makes my OCD flare up when I see it, is that scene where she takes the the burger and, like, stuffs it and gets it all over her face. I was like, oh, my mom would not be happy about that. You need to learn oh. how to eat your sandwich, girl. Um, <laughs> that's, a BJ led, oh, that's what BJ led with where she goes, oh, yeah, uh, the kids in this scene are eating, like, so disgustingly and it's going to yeah, be awful. It's, it's the the one kid, the 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 other only white kid it's he like flips it backwards and almost like smacks himself in the face with the bun and it just makes my skin crawl and i probably should admit this as somebody who you know is an educator and works with children but every once in a while there's like one moment where i'm like i can't handle this like it's too much (laughs) and that's the one for me i'm just like nope this is gross exactly well the food fight that was all that's all my thing where i'm just like oh god there's there's food everywhere people are covered in it you're gonna slip uh like it's not for me but the olsen twins i did that a lot too when they're i remember like full house everything was like they would get a birthday cake for somebody it wasn't the olsen's but michelle would stick her face in the cake and eat it and i was just like no, who does that? Who sticks their whole face <laughs> in somebody else's birthday cake and like eats the center of it? That's just poor manners. So the Olsen twins did that a lot. And I was not down with it as, as a child whose mother would like remind her, like use a knife and a fork, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I'm also very particular about like the cleanliness. Cause I, had a very neat mother as well like she's the my mom was definitely the type where if there was like three pieces of loose leaf paper on the floor in your bedroom like it's trashed in here yep very dramatic does your mom know my mom they should be friends (laughs) they would get along incredibly well (laughs) yeah like I'm always so neurotic the couple days like in preparation anytime I know my mom's gonna visit because I'm like because I know I know I know what'll happen and I just I don't want to go there so I'm gonna dust every surface oh you had to buy a new garbage can (laughs) when you after you moved in you went I need a new garbage can this one's not nice enough my mother will never stand for it (laughs) I I live with my mother um so as a grown adult I still live in fear like you will find me like making sure all my like workspace is is, is clean and impeccable so that she doesn't decide to put things away and thus move <laughs> all my stuff so that I don't know where it is. Um, but anywho, <laughs> this movie has not one but two horse chases. I just realized that. Yes. There's, there's the horse chase with Diane and Roger, and then there is the final horse chase, which actually is, now that I think of it, pretty much like the end of Two Grandmothers House We Go. Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty much the exact same thing. Just opt out Santa Claus for, you know, the the horse carriage taxi through thing. through how much traffic in Central Park and all of this stuff. I was just like, I I haven't been to New York recently, but I'm pretty sure it would not have worked out. That's you'd have been hit by a car or a tour bus <laughs> yeah. or something. Well, what Harmony pointed out too during the first horse chase with uh, Diane and Roger is that. When they shoot that slingshot, 
they could have killed her. Right? <laughs> like, yes. Like that, that horse bucked really intensely. And it is one of the only moments where you can clearly see the stunt double in in the movie is there that close up of of the horse bucking but yeah that could have gone real bad kids <laughs> yeah the i think that would have been a very uh movie of the week like the olsen's <laughs> trying to figure out how to dispose of this woman's body um, is that where the mary kate and ashley detective agency comes into play <laughs> they have to solve their own crime <laughs> They have to reverse engineer their crimes and then learn how to hide the body. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I, I, well, I think what's also funny is how after this, the Olsen twins kind of created a stable of performers that would pop up at other things. Like I know the guy who was the Mr. Butt Kiss ended up doing their TV show, Two of a Kind, in a fairly significant role. Um, and, and some other actors from this movie would pop up later on in, in Olsen Twins uh, stuff going forward. So I, I love that they kind of paid it forward uh, and, mm -hmm. and worked with some of these people uh, again in, in some capacity. Some of the smaller characters, they never worked with Gutenberg or Kirstie Alley again. Um, because I think you only need one A-lister and the Olsen Twins were two. <laughs> But I did like that that they that they did bring back some of the the character or the actors to play in in their future stuff. I think this is also like a really I think this is the transition movie for Steve Gutenberg because I know a couple years after this is when he's in Tower of Terror and he's yeah, Kirsten Dunst's yeah. dad. So I really he's her uncle. He's her oh, uncle. Oh, uncle. That's right. Yes. So I think that this is when they were transitioning Gutenberg into these sort of roles where he becomes a dad. Yeah. Or an uncle or a, a parental figure. I think Gutenberg was kind of that type of guy that didn't want to be associated with dad roles. So like, yeah, in Tower of Terror being the uncle, I was like, dude, you could be her dad. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> it's not it's not a come down for you to be playing a dad, man. You can do it. Um, well, I mean, and I think watching this movie now and, you know, I just watched New York Minute. I, I watch it a lot because um, I, I secretly love that movie, too. Um, <laughs> but watching the Olsen twins trajectory, I, I wish they had made more films because I think they were really good performers. They acted opposite big names and they could hold their own. Like the, the directors they got, Andy Tennant went on to do a lot of big rom-coms in the 90s and the 2000s. I mean, they obviously were able to get whoever they wanted Mm -hmm. for their works um they just they couldn't get the content and and i think that the fear was that they couldn't control it as much and obviously with, with new york minute there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff um and the movie ended up not being what they wanted so i, I wish i wish it had worked out more for them because i wish we had more movies i think that they they did really good in this and they deserved it and i think there was also probably that fear of separating them as well. We do a like a weekly movie night with some of our friends and we did like a, a weird romance movie night for Valentine's Day. So we watched Beastly. Oh, yeah. Which has, you know, only Mary Kate in it. And she's playing like the coolest high fashion goth I've ever seen yep. in my life. Um, but the the big takeaway we all had was she's really good. Like she's d doing a really great performance in this. And I think people forget that as they got older, they really could perform. And I, I don't know if people were just unable to look past the fact that they were, you know, children and like, oh, the cute twin gimmick or not. But 
they're legitimately talented performers. And I think that if they would have been given the same space to do kind of what like the Sprouse twins are doing where they did stuff as kids, but now they're kind of taking completely separate trajectories. I think that would have really benefited them. Yeah. I, not to show too harshly for, for the article I did uh, for MTV two, two or three years ago now uh, on New York minute and it's anniversary. I mean, the way that they, sold that film which was supposed to be their big we're teenagers now movie uh was they wanted to make Igby goes down um Mm -hmm. and and this and new york minute holds far more in common with it takes two i think than Igby goes down um just because there was the studio which was warner brothers at the time where they they signed like i think a four picture deal um to make movies with them um but the the warner brothers did not like them talking about serious topics there was this fear that they were going to alienate this fan base raised on them being cute twins doing shenanigans and they didn't want to see them serious so they they subsequently softened and turned the movie into to what it is now which is still fun but it's an olsen twins movie which they Mm -hmm. did not want to make Olsen twins movies they just wanted to make movies um and it it was so disappointing to them that they they tore up the the four picture deal and they didn't act together again um which is really sad because I I feel like now as we're reevaluating child stars and and women in this era like Britney Spears and stuff like that you know I I'm I'm wondering if we're going to go back to the Olsen twins and be like we really didn't give them the chance to to grow as women as actresses because we were we were so desirous of this twin aesthetic of them as as cute little kids. Yeah, I I agree completely on that note, especially when I think about you know, the, I think the closest contemporary, although not twins, but I think about like the Miley Cyrus Hannah Montana thing and how she was so impactful and important to young kids. And I would I would argue that the the Olsen twins and and Miley Cyrus are closer than say a Britney Spears because right out the gate, Britney was popular with yes, young girls, but also with adults. Um, whereas the Olsen twins and, you know, Miley Cyrus, I think they, they were very much established as these are the girls that our little girls want to be and to look up to. And I think you're totally right. We didn't offer them the space to grow up and like, transition out of childhood and that's I think that's a shame and I think that it definitely contributes to a lot of the stuff that we saw happen to them once they did start stepping out of the limelight yeah and uh yeah it's it's definitely need I think it needs to be part of the the conversation of reevaluating you know the the late 90s and into the 2000s and treating women um like Jordan Cruciolo who we had on for Jennifer's Body and you know just wonderful human being did a like a a roundup list of stuff after framing Britney of just like these interviews and profiles that they just could not believe existed and I unfortunately had to be the one to remind her about the Olsen twins countdown clock I remember that Mm -hmm. yeah and they you're right when you said like their movies never sexualized them but everyone else did and it's just like how how creepy were people in that you've known these kids since they were 
babies mm-hmm. on Full House, and you're doing a countdown clock, like you need to do some in, in, internal uh, investigation there, friends. Oh, yeah. We've seen that as uh, recently as like Billie Eilish. Yeah. yeah. Millie Bobby Brown, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's worth pointing out, too, that New York Minute, I think, came out either a couple weeks or a couple months before or after Mean Girls. And I think that says a lot about what we wanted as a, as a group of young women, what was popular with society at the time, you know, was this catty, you know, Lindsay, and Lindsay Wellen went through the same thing. She started out playing, you know, cute, lovable twins. And then mm-hmm. I think more immediately than the Olsen twins, we just kind of went from zero to 60 and it was like sexualization mm-hmm. station. Um, and, and with, if you watch Mean Girls in New York Minute right back to back, you're like, oh, we wanted more of that catty, like hot, fun times. The Hills was like a big thing around this time too. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we want. We don't want this movie where these twin girls like are still dressed impeccably. They're still really fun, but their adventure is tame. It's more based on like boys and ambition versus you know, kind of stepping on the throat of your enemies. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's really fascinating how we mark, like, like entertainment markets certain things to young girls and says, like, you don't want this. You don't want tame, happy shenanigans. You want sex and drugs party over here. Yeah, I just think that that's um, kind of how we digest, like, trends in media after a certain amount of time where um, you see something like The Boys as an example, where it's like, okay, this is in response to a decade of superhero movies. You saw something like Blazing Saddles, where like, this is a decade, this is a response to like two decades of Westerns. And Mean Girls kind of was like, oh, hey, this is sort of a response to the uh, very saccharine like 90s girl aesthetic well we're gonna have it look like that but we're gonna have it be uh, a little bit more gritty and spicy like everyone's gonna be a bit meaner and cattier exactly and it's it's harder i think i mean there is a relatability to mean girls you know everybody has that story about about having a a care you know a a girl that tormented them or, or a person that tormented them in high school but there's a different relatability to something like watching the Olsen twins where it's really a community experience watching with your friends. Like everybody has good times because it's a positive film about, you know, embracing your, your fellow female and like loving them. And, you know, it's interesting that, that the Olsen twins really did as much as they didn't want to, you know, really did sell, I think a more positive experience of girlhood than what we ended up getting and it was that change in what what society was selling to women that ended up ending their career so you know i know i know both of them are still you know multi-billionaires they'll never have to work again but i would love Mm -hmm. for them to maybe maybe become directors you know i mean they own a production company they could literally do what margot robbie is doing now and Mm -hmm. greenlight films you know make them so i would i would love to i hope they they haven't given up on film Enough. I know we have Elizabeth and she's delightful, um, but I, I hope that this isn't the end of the Olsons, that they come back and maybe make a movie with their sister and then we can have like a true triple threat and then the world will implode. <laughs> if that's the way that the world implodes, I will be so happy. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm totally fine. Be like, we're done. There's nothing else we can do at this point. So do we have any final thoughts or things about It Takes Two that we didn't dive into that anyone wants to? Just Betty thinking. butt kiss forever. 
The <laughs> styling of the Butkus family, I'm like obsessed with them. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. they are objectively terrible human beings, but anybody who watched an episode of Married with Children and went, mm-hmm. you know what? That's going to be my look now. I respect you. <laughs> oh, Peggy Bundy is an icon, and I love the Betty Butkus look. They're but- <laughs> also like a family out of time, too. Like, they almost feel like they're from the 50s, but they're mm-hmm. living in modern day. Like, their son looks like Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. I think he's the boy with the purple socks from Harriet he the Spy. He is. He is. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, he is. So I, I always was thrown by that, where I was just like, are they like... Is this like some Twin Peaks thing where everybody else is modern day, but they're like some weird 1950s, like, I don't know, dapper days every day at their house. <laughs> I mean, in the 1950s, you still could have child labor. So right? I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> but thinking about like the fallout of, of, of the rush to the church where they have to call Lou to come in with his helicopter, thinking about that moment. We have uh, a threat of like, hey, I'm going to call Child Protective Service on Mr. Buttkiss, which means uh, now all of these children that they've adopted are just going to end up back in the system, I guess, when they inevitably get taken away. Exactly. And God forbid Diane forgets to call, like, you know, with right. the, the rush to the church and all of that. Like, do you really think she's going to remember to call CPS? And that was the other thing, too. They make a big deal about how uh, they had to let Amanda go with them because they had they filled out the paperwork. And I was like, I'm pretty sure legally, like, it's not as simple as just like, well, you you didn't sign the contract's not valid because she's not Amanda. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that ne- I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if that necessarily matters though, because they still signed a contract for an Amanda Lemon. There is an Amanda Lemon, you can produce her. So I don't know. I, I think maybe Diane committed some kidnapping. <laughs> I, I mean, they could have all been arrested at the end of the day. And I, I would have been fine with seeing how, what the last, what's, show me the next 10 minutes of this movie. Cause I want to know what happens <laughs> after all this. I want to know what like Mr. Headline has to say about this wedding imploding and everyone getting arrested. And suddenly there are two children. And the embarrassment <laughs> of Clarice's underwear on display at this wedding in a children's movie. Think of the children. How will they get over seeing granny panties and some garters? Uh, (laughs) It was amazing. I was sitting there like, this is 1995, the era of Victoria's Secret. And I was like, I would have thought her underwear would have been like way saucier because like she's evil. She should have evil underwear. Um, Nope. Nope. Granny panties because PG. It's it's her wedding day. She's dressed conservatively in the house of the Lord. <laughs> also, valid, I guess, valid. A, a question though. Do you I feel like she's the kind of woman who was withholding sex from Roger. <laughs> you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Be like, I'll rock your world on the wedding night, but not before. <laughs> and he's like, well, that a <laughs> <laughs> And, and I, I'd like to believe that there was a guy waiting outside the church for her. Like, she had a guy on speed dial being like, look, this didn't work out. So, you know, I, I need somebody else. Like, she could have married, like, I, I don't know, Elon Musk right after this. That would have <laughs> made sense. I, that would have made sense. I'd have respected that. <laughs> I feel like she has some very hunky boy candy that she would have been seeing on the side because yeah. there's no way Gutenberg's going to just like make her happy enough and that's it. Exactly. It's like a legally blonde thing. Like she had some some sexy pool boy that that was doing cleaning the pool in the thong. Like that 
<laughs> Again, that would have been cool. I want this movie. Someone green light. It's 2021. Everything old is new again. Give me It Takes Two from Clarice's perspective because I I would be into that. You don't even need the Olsen twins. Just tell us tell us that story. If Cruella DeVille can get a movie about her background pre-puppy skinning, then damn it, I want, I want Clarice's movie. I want her biopic. Is this where we end up with some horror comedy about some children who are terrorizing a stepmother? Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love that so much if she's just like, you know, filled with good intentions and is just getting tortured by these children. Oh, it'd be so good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, normally I'd be tickled to play a selection from Chopin. But in honor of my new stepmother, whom I absolutely adore, I decided to play a little something of my own. That's always been my question with, with, with whether it's this or whether it's the parent trap. Like, would she have necessarily been a horrible human being if they hadn't poked the bear? Like, in the mm, parent trap, true. it's a bit more overt. Or No, in this movie, it's a bit more overt that, like, Clarice was just mean because she walks into an empty room and is like, this woman has horrible taste. Thank God she's dead. <laughs> um, but... But, you know, for all we know, she would have never talked that way in front of Amanda like or, or Alyssa. We don't know that. Um, same with Meredith in The Parent Trap. Like, we don't know if, if she would have been a horrible person. The movie sets it up that way. So I always give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe if these kids weren't such little bastards to her that she would have been perfectly fine. I mean, and they do torture her. And don't get me wrong, her comment about, you know, the the mom being dead is super insensitive. Yeah. But it absolutely sounds like some snooty, like, rich woman thing to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like that's what uh, Delia Deet says when they move into the house. Yeah, In exactly. Beetlejuice, where, you know, she's not trying to be, like, super, like, intentionally insensitive. She's just kind of being an out of, yeah self-absorbed kind of bitch and i i <laughs> i actually like low-key a little bit feel bad because yeah the gum is not cool the like gigantic humiliation at this party is not super cool like and granted she's not nice to her she really isn't she's equally is antagonistic and she's an adult and should know better but also like <sighs> they they really didn't make it easy for her. her. No, not at all. It's really hard to develop empathy with this child who is immediately like, I hate you. Yep. Justice for Clarice. That's my new hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to think you're talking about the Clarice Starling oh, show if you do God. that. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. I'm going to have to work on this and differentiate because, yeah, no, no, no connection there. <laughs> Just very long. Hashtag Clarice, not the one from the show, but the one from It Takes Two. (laughs) Just use up all of the character limit. (laughs) Get your point across. Oh my God. Hi there, listeners. So uh, fun fact, we were all having so much fun talking to Kristen that we uh, straight up forgot to ask the uh, the rating system question for how we end all of our episodes. Yeah, I'm really good at my job, friends. <laughs> Just going 
<laughs> let you know that now. Yeah, so we're just doing it now, like a little bit after the fact. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're just inserting it here, and it's magic. And we were like, ooh, maybe we could, like, dupe people and just kind of, like, throw it in there as if nothing happened. We're like, no, nah, we're going to own our shit. We fucked up. It's, it's way, th- th- this is the quality off-the-cuffed <laughs> earnestness that you come to appreciate about us, I should hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harmony. Yes. <laughs> With all that out of the way. It takes two, and Kristen are asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, no, or maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? I enjoyed this movie, but I don't know if I need to watch it again. Oh, my heart is just breaking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a uh, maybe. Okay. I'm gonna give it a comfortable maybe, I'll like maybe, maybe a maybe plus. Oh, a maybe plus? Are you starting a new streaming service? Yeah, sure. Okay. Because everything is plus. But like maybe a, like I'm going off a sense this is very grade schoolish like a like a check plus like okay. that system is kind of what I had in mind mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. like a maybe plus but I don't think a full yes it's a little a little too young for my taste okay and I think I gleaned basically everything I could get out of this movie on the on this watch okay so yeah that's that's kind of where I'm at it does nothing wrong I just you know I'm good yeah that's fair I understand that I think this one definitely helps a lot more if you have the nostalgia. Yeah, I don't. So that's right, which a you, lot you of don't it. have. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay, I'll tell accept the maybe plus. And I'm sorry that Kristen isn't here for this segment to hear this part because I'm sure that she would have something very funny and witty to say, but I'm sure. And now I don't feel Oops, quite as uh, I don't feel quite as guilty about being like, it's a maybe because Kristen's not here to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> She's not here to judge you for your taste. It's fine. I ex- everyone else will judge me in post. That's true. Just like everyone. this is in post. Judge Harmony harshly. Oh. That's that's a lie. Don't do that. <laughs> Unless you're funny, then you can do it. Okay, yeah. Give me give me a good natured roasting. <laughs> Let's do that. Like Beautiful. compassionately bring bring me to task. Beautiful, I love it. I'm all I'm all here for it. All right, and now back to the end of the episode. Back to the show. <laughs> well, Kristen, we are so happy that you could join us to talk about just this seminal movie that I know has touched the lives of so many people, and I'm glad that you are such an Olsen twin stan because it made it made this conversation so much more enlightening. Oh, thank you. I, I've been secretly, you know, listening to all the episodes and being like, so how, how, how do I get on this? What, what's the thing? So I was super happy. <laughs> you said, do you want to talk about Olsen twin stuff? And I was like, do I? I want to be part of the cool kids podcast talking about the Olsen twins. So no, thank you so much. I hope we can do it again. Oh, we would love to. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet if you want them to find you? I am predominantly on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I tweet a lot of stuff there, sometimes about the Olsen twins. Um, And in my free time, what little free time I have, I have have a classic film podcast where we talk about old movies and thirst and all sorts of fun stuff uh, called Ticklish Business, which is wherever you find podcasts. We are on all the, the apps. Awesome. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom, where we do commentaries for movies that we would probably watch at sleepovers. Harmony tortures me with teen boy movies with our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes. Monthly playlists, all sorts of fun stuff, so you can join us over there. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, mostly Twitter. 
<laughs> at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Check out Clothbound. It's out. It's new. It's amazing. You will love it. But on that note, friends, that takes us out on It Takes Two and Save the Last Dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.